Welcome and welcome back. Today on the podcast, I finally get to interview my mom who homeschooled me back in the 80s and my brother and sister through the 90s and even other people's children. One of the things we're going to be talking about is how she homeschooled while running an epic home daycare. And if that's something that you're considering or currently doing on the webpage for this episode, I have put a link to a free ebook that my friend has created who ran a daycare for a long time in her home. And so you can get that download and it will give you some helpful tips and advice for running a home daycare. Mom and I had such a good long conversation that I've actually divided it into two episodes. So the focus of this episode is going to be her homeschooling journey and running her home daycare while homeschooling. And then the next episode will be the rest of our conversation. And we're going to focus in that part of the conversation on the benefits of read alouds in your homeschool. And we'll also have the famous home stretch where we have some really good insights and encouragement and advice for new homeschoolers and those who have been doing it for a while. So let's roll. Welcome to Canada Homeschools, the dose of inspiration and encouragement for Canadian homeschoolers. Canada Homeschools features interviews with homeschool group organizers, resource suppliers, and conversations with everyday homeschoolers just like you, all from a Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Now let's get started. <laughs> In 400 meters. In 100 meters. You have reached your destination. Today, I have the joy of welcoming my mom, Kathy, to the podcast. Mom has four grown children and homeschooled in the 80s and 90s. She loves to garden and birdwatch and enjoys going for long walks. What can you add to that introduction, Mom? Tell us about your family and your homeschooling journey. Well, um, at the time, we were living in a very small county, Halliburton County. And so we were living out in the country, about 12 miles from the little village, Halliburton, which had 500 people. And so we were kind of doing a back to the land kind of existence. We had a huge garden and we were living in an old log cabin with our four children. And, um, and I was born again. And that changed my whole life. And so from that point onward, I think I really started to you know, consider what the kids, my kids were going to learn and how they were going to learn it. And that's what started it. Thank you. And we were talking about it off air, but I was thinking that a lot of people hadn't really heard of homeschooling. I guess I hadn't heard about it back then, but it actually wasn't something new, even in the eighties and nineties, was it? No, it wasn't. And I had already been involved you know, earlier before I was married. Um, 
with going back to the land kind of thing, living in communities where people were living alternative kind of lifestyles. So I was kind of involved with that. And I knew people that are already teaching their children at home um, and the church that I was involved in when I was born again, also had a lot of communities that were um, farm communities that they had set up and they were teaching their children on those communities. So that's how we were able to access um, information about curriculum and, you know, the kinds of things that were working and not working and even some uh, information about legalities, which, you know, was interesting if you don't know what your legal rights are at the time uh, about having your children stay at home instead of going to the school system. So that was an interesting process too. We we were able to, um, you know, through the church mostly, re- get you know copies of letters that lawyers had written uh, about what the rights of parents were at the time, which were very simple. Their children had to be in school until they were sixteen years old, and they had to be doing a um, progressive curriculum that you could prove they were doing. And then legally, you were allowed to teach your children at home. So for some of our younger listeners, the back to the land movement, I think the parallel currently is really the homesteading movement where people are trying to be more self-sufficient and live off the land and not necessarily completely dependent on the normal supply chain and just uh, thinking outside the box in how you're raising your kids. And so... I would think that a lot of the kind of homeschooling books like John Holt and things like that were very, um, were actually like earlier than that. So it, it really was a movement, but because we didn't have the internet back then, you know, unless you knew someone doing it, you, you wouldn't realize how much of it was really going on. Mm-hmm. That's right. And in our little church group, we were a very small group. There was another family who we were very close friends with, and they had younger children than, than, uh, well, two of them were younger than ours. And four of them were younger than ours, I should say. And they had, you know, they were just starting to think about what they were going to do with their children, too, as far as school goes. And so we were, we schooled together. We homeschooled together when we did start. We researched all the uh, materials that we could find together. We looked at all the curriculum we could find together and pretty well decided together how we were going to approach it. So that was really, for me, um, just a blessing. Like, I probably wouldn't have been as successful with it if I hadn't had that support. And so how that ended up working out sort of in later years as their kids got old enough to be in school and and that kind of thing was uh, my friend Sharon did taught all of the younger ones to read. And I had the older ones at my house and we did all the other subjects together. And then we switched off. And so she taught uh, French to the older ones and I taught art and home economics and so it was kind of a a a good uh balance for both of us to have someone else that was also engaged in it and uh that worked really well and then they moved away so that was that was hard but the first time they moved we also moved to the same place 
That's so right. you were able to continue that and then, uh, but yeah. then they moved away and that was so hard. I know. Yeah. So Sharon taught me French as well in grade yeah. eight and that was amazing. And, uh, and so then when I went back to school in grade nine for the French was way too easy for me because Sharon had done such a good job teaching me that and the learning to read program that you guys used you actually passed down literally all the flashcards and everything to me where I got them somehow and I used that to teach all four of our kids too so that is the blessing of being a second generation homeschooler you get wisdom and support and even curriculum from the previous generation so in case anyone's curious about that we use the christian light education it has a really good learning to read program yeah that and that was really the reason why we decided on that actual particular program i think there's a lot of lot more curriculum out now but that program for re- learning to read, I would still want to use it if I was teaching little ones again, because it was just perfect. It had a great balance of everything in it, phonics. And the kids knew so many. By the time they were ready to read, like in grade one, they had already learned 10 different spelling rules without even thinking about it. They already knew more phonics than we, you know, I ever thought anyone could ever learn at that age. And um, I have to say that all of those children were amazing writers. So it it was a good program. I'm glad we found it. (laughs) I have a secret. I still have it. Oh, do you? I couldn't get rid of it. Yeah. I have loaned it to people and then gotten it back. But there was something weird I went through after I taught our youngest to read with it. I just felt this sense of loss. Like, am I never going to teach another child to read? Maybe my grandchildren will need help learning to read. I'm going to keep this curriculum. Yeah. In fact, we, aspirational clutter, maybe, yeah. but I still we have it. Even, and we even used it to teach, to reteach kind of some of the older kids, like, you know, um, the ones that were having still struggles in reading because they started out in the public school system. We actually, went back and used that initial um, program to teach them all those spelling rules and all that stuff, because it was just so, uh, it was so good. It was so progressive and so good. And I, I don't, even though kids have different learn, all those kids had different kind of learning styles and they, they all learned from that program. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would say that at least one of mine probably has a reading challenge like their father, but um, that child is actually my most avid reader out of all of them. And and, uh, that child learned on that particular curriculum Mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah. Yeah. But it is something that we did when we started um, together. We did a lot of uh, decisions about how we wanted to approach it. And we, we felt like um, we wanted to concentrate on uh, the basics is what we were really going for. The reading, the math, um, the math skills, science skills, those, we were just very focused on those. So we overdid probably definitely on the reading things. We went and got other things about with spellers and did extra spelling and extra uh you know, we just really overdid on that in the first couple of years that the kids were learning. 
but they never looked back as far as reading and writing was concerned afterwards. So it was well worth it, I think. Yep. And some of those kids are really great bloggers now and they're writing and um, yeah. And that just. And some of them write music. Some of them do ads. They're working for an ad companies that are doing amazing ads work, you know, ad work and graphics. And so it's been quite interesting to see how they've all gone on. <laughs> yep. That's neat. Yeah. So today we're kind of, we've circled back to our stories of homeschooling moms who also have to earn a living while they're homeschooling. And I know that's been me. All of our listeners know that. And, uh, and that was you. And so often we're always talking with mommy bloggers who, you know, make a living from the internet, but you were homeschooling before the internet and you had to also bring home some bacon. That's how we say it here on Canada homeschools. And so can you tell us about how you did that? And uh, I just, I really wanted a story that was like, that doesn't involve the internet when it comes to making some money. Well, definitely didn't have the internet. That's for sure. Um, I just want to say that mom is like (laughs) way more internet savvy than I am now and has way more awesome devices and, Yes, but but back then it wasn't invented yet. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it was not. Um, so how I I think really I kind of slid into it um, before I was married, and um, even during the time I was married, at the beginning of our um, married life together, I worked with kids all the time in different capacities. So that's how I kind of got into uh, even thinking about being able to teach kids as well. So I worked for the Children's Aid Society in group homes. I worked for a treatment group home, a, a, a treatment daycare with the city of um, Ottawa. And then I worked in a school as a special education assistant. And I think that really sparked my interest because those children all that I worked with had difficulty with reading and spelling and things like that. So I was already kind of geared to working with children. And so there wasn't anything else I could think of to do, except I had started uh, taking care of a couple of children um, when I was homeschooling, and it worked out quite well together. So when we moved uh, to Brantford to a brand new community and started homeschooling there, I decided to uh, have a home daycare at the same time in my house. And a lot of that was because I had a younger child at the time. He just turned three and I was homeschooling older kids and I wanted her to have uh, a playmate. I wanted her to not sort of be the spoiled youngest of the family and that kind of thing. And so I, that's how I started with the daycare. I, I had a couple of little girls who were about the same age as my daughter and that's how it started and it just grew from there so my very first uh child that came came because I put an ad in a paper but after that I never in 17 years I had the daycare I never put an ad in another ad in a paper it was always word of mouth but we lived in a a, an area of um Brantford at the time that was like there were so many kids it was dense with children so it was actually very welcome um kind of 
thing to have in the middle of that community. So I, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed doing a lot of babysitting in the evenings as well, taking advantage of how many <laughs> children there were That's in right. the neighborhood. Yeah, and that went on. Like you and, and yep. Ben, I think he also babysat in that community yep. as well. Yeah. What would you say was the biggest challenge that you faced juggling two jobs, really? It's more than two jobs when you think about it, because you really were managing the house as well for the most part. And then you were homeschooling your kids and other people's kids. And then you were doing daycare. And I know you're a little bit downplaying it. Like you had epic daycares over the years. Like you had lots of clients and it was a real going concern. So how, what was the biggest challenge? I'm thinking maybe getting up at 5 a.m. when you had those shift working clients. Yeah, that was that was no, tough. but there might be no, more that, challenges. That was one of the challenges for sure. Um, the logistics, just of juggling all the different, you know, kids were going to school and kids who were staying and having all the kids in your house and that kind of thing. That was challenging, but I have to say, for me, really, mostly was the emotional challenge because I tend to be overly responsible as a person. <laughs> So, so I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing right? with you. No. My listeners know that I'm a super responsible person too. Uh, and so they've heard know. about this before. But anyway, go on. So that was for me the biggest challenge, the emotional challenge of trying to be the best for everything that was going on, you know. And so that could be that is challenging, no matter how many people are involved. And sometimes there were quite a few. But to be honest, it mashed beautifully. The daycare and the the homeschooling actually mashed like it was a perfect match, really. It was very easy to, you know, incorporate both things at the same time. It wasn't what you would think. In fact, in fact, it made it easier in some ways because I didn't have to have my attention just on the one child that was younger and try to, you know, accommodate that and the other it 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 kind of made it so that she had playmates she had interests I had a group that would play together I could do not just one activity with one child which is a lot harder to do than to actually do the same activity with five kids honestly I agree I do better with a larger group than I do with one I just probably won't bother doing something if it's just one. But if I have a whole group, it really makes it worth my while, I guess you could say, really. You know, and they all give positive peer pressure to each other. They do. Like with potty training. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, that was great. Little cheerers, little champions of each other, the potty training. I wanted to send mine to you, my oldest (laughs) too. Yeah. I really did. and, you know, and just things like imaginative play. I mean, they, I, I, I still am in awe sometimes of the things that these kids did together. It's so funny. One point I had like a little flock of geese flying all over and a little bee formation in the house. And they were making geese honking noises all over the house. And it was like, it was so funny to see them. Um, they would act out all the little movies and all the stories story time stories they would actually act them out and so I actually had a lot of fun with them as well and so they came that counts as creative arts credit for those of you who are listening 
yeah, that's right. And they came on all of our field trips, which is quite amazing when you think about it. But we had other people that came with us too. So I wasn't just the only one there. But um, yeah, they came, they came on all our bird watching expeditions and all our hike, nature hikes and, and everything. So yeah. In some ways it sounds games. (laughs) In some ways it sounds like just having a large family, really. It was like that. That's how I that's how I looked at it. They were just like siblings, you know, they came along. So I don't think we ever had a meal, breakfast, lunch, or dinner that didn't have an extra child there or two, maybe more. (laughs) And probably a few extra items that you wouldn't have necessarily made for us but if that was the only thing the daycare child would eat that's that's what you had to make (laughs) yeah that's true especially true about breakfast I think yeah Yeah. at the end of the whole thing I just gave up and just made breakfast whatever anybody wanted that's what I did because it was just too hard (laughs) to to insist everybody ate the same food no, but, and yeah. you don't need to start an epic day with battles that don't need to be fought. No, yeah. no. But that being said, it worked out really well. You know, you're, you, I, and I have to say, I had, I used routine in a sense too. Like, I, I, I did my homeschool, and and I don't think this is the same for everybody who wants to do homeschool. But I definitely did it. That they got up at the same time every day. We we did our breakfast. We did devotions together. We started the day at the same time. Like we had that kind of, we had recess, we had lunch hour, afternoon recess. You know, we had a, a pattern to the day that you would normally have had in like a public school or wherever the child would go. And that fit in with the daycare as well, really well. So yeah, because um, you had some kids that were after school only, right? Too. So, yeah. Or before school. Yep. So you so. kind of had to work in with that kind of schedule anyway. Yeah, and then we did the same holidays as the school system again because of Me the daycare. Too. So yeah. they were off at the same time. They could play with the kids in the neighborhood um, on the same days. So, and I, then I you don't that. have as many well-meaning neighbors saying, "Why aren't you in school?" <laughs> yeah, <or whatever. laughs> that's right. So we took times. the same holidays as the school did. But yeah, that's how we did it. We did too, except we finished school earlier. Mm-hmm. It was a motivational yeah. carrot for our children. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we, we were definitely a little, obviously could be more flexible in a lot of different ways, but yeah. Mm-hmm. The Canada Homeschools podcast is brought to you by Headphone History, your complete Canadian elementary history curriculum. Headphone History comes with audio lessons, stories, and legends, and a reproducible workbook designed for the whole family. Go to headphonehistory.com. It's important for us to learn our history. So aside from the obvious financial benefit, can you think of any other benefits to what you were doing in your work in terms of your children and your community? You've touched on it, but I want to focus in on that because I think sometimes like work has benefits other than making money and work can be a ministry or a way of serving your community. So I just wanted to talk about that. I think that's what it turned out to be for me was a bit of a ministry really. Um, because we just we used to you know call it our our um, after school club our homework club and we had our summer day 
camp kind of thing. And so we had like a, you know, that kind of impact, I think, on the neighborhood. At first, it was a really good way for us to, to enter into a new community, for sure, because we met a lot of parents in that area. Um, kids, you know, our house was a bit of a magnet, a kid's magnet. Um, there were always kids playing at our house in our backyard, and I encouraged that. I really wanted that to happen. Um, so I think we were um, known in the community for that. I had parents tell me, I don't, I don't care where you take my child. As long as he's with you, that's fine. I know he's okay. So that was good. So we were a bit of a testimony that way. And I think, um, and it was just, it was the whole family too. I mean, uh, all of our kids were involved in some ways with the younger children. I would say that all of the, of our four children loved babies without, yes. a, without exception, um, which is kind of a strange thing, but yeah. Well, you um, and dad love babies. So yeah. why wouldn't yeah. we? <laughs> yeah. Plus we we had some, (laughs) plus we we had had some because we had lots of age gaps in our family. So we were old enough to appreciate the little ones. Yeah. So we had, I think we did um, have that kind of impact. And I, um, we started, I started out in in Brantford and then we moved to Smith Falls later on, nine years later. And again, the same thing happened. I, I had one child come in my daycare and then all of a sudden I just had all kinds of referrals and it was the same type of thing um, there as well. Um, a good way to get involved in your community, a good way to meet people. Um, and you're helping them out because you're giving them a safe and wholesome place for their children while yeah. they have to go to work. And, and I, can't, I have to say that I was never underappreciated that way like we were appreciated by people yeah it was good yeah and it was also good for our youngest sibling to have some little kids in her life so that because being the youngest by far the youngest she wouldn't have otherwise you know had experience with lots of babies and little kids so she got to and she helped you to watch the kids sometimes when she was older yeah she was yeah. actually my assistant. She she got a salary in the summer and that kind of thing. She was like a junior lifeguard. And <laughs> we had a above ground pool and that, that was her job. So, yeah, it was good. Yeah. So there, so there are lots of benefits outside of just your income that you were earning. It was a real help yeah. to the community and it, and it was good for family too. It was. I think uh, I have to say it was actually really good in all in many many ways for our family. It was not at all what you would think as a burden or anything like that. It was I had lots of fun too. Honestly, I enjoyed it. I actually still miss that whole you know kind of synergy of having young kids looking at you all the time and having to interact with all their energy and all. It's, it's yeah, the trust I think too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And in your jobs that you've had since, some of your jobs have been also still working with children. So that's been good. Yeah. No, yeah. That's what made them good. (laughs) 
So you also homeschooled other people's children. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because it wasn't only your co-op with one other person, like you even homeschooled other kids besides that. Yes. Yeah. Now that, uh, that was actually not sort of totally in the plan really uh, at the beginning. I, I was with at that other family that we were very close friends and we had basically planned things together yes. from the beginning to be together um, but then we had another young uh, boy in our church at the time. He was having a really hard time in school, um, academically, behavior-wise, and everything. So um, they asked um, me if I would include him in the homeschool. He was two years older than your brother, Ben. So it actually worked well in terms of age for him to be there. There were some challenges. I, I won't deny that. Um, well, there were challenges already. That's why he needed. The yeah. Help. Yeah. That, that's right. And uh, but it was good. It was good. It was good for Ben to have uh, another boy there. And I think it was good all the way around. And yeah, it worked out pretty well. I it, again, I think it's the same thing. Uh, if you're just teaching one person it's hard to keep up the interest and the learning and um, the, you know, but when you have more than one there and they're not necessarily all the same family, I've worked very well for me. It worked very well. Um, They added their own um, personalities, their own outlooks into it. And, um, you know, there were, they had some good, we did some things together, like in terms of uh, projects. Pro- we did a lot of projects. I was a big project person. You were so um, great with the projects and with the science experiments. <laughs> I was yeah. not so great with that. Yeah, but you were great with history and geography. I was like, mm, not so good at history, especially. But Well, I yeah, would say they, they didn't have good resources back you know, then. And we're still exactly. working on that here in Canada. Yeah, that's where Shameless you plug. Yeah. Shameless yeah, plug. Yeah, that's right. Because we didn't have, I would have loved to have the resources you're providing for sure, but we didn't have those. It was uh, difficult, but um, yeah, we did a lot of stuff together too. So that really helped as well when you have like, so at one point I had four. So I had um, that young boy, my son, Ben, and then the two other older children from the other family. And they did a lot of the same kind of experiments and um, a lot of the projects. And they were, you know, obviously the field trips we took and stuff, they did all together. So it was good. It was good that way. Okay, so we're going to pause the conversation there. And next time we'll be talking about read-alouds and a curriculum that has been a good program for children learning to read. I used it with my own and the benefits of having a good foundation in uh, the English language and so much more. So stay tuned for next week when we'll be continuing our conversation. Happy homeschooling, Canada! Thank you so much for listening. You can find helpful links and show notes for this episode at our website, canadahomeschools.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave a rating and positive review on your podcast provider. 
This will help others find their dose of inspiration and encouragement. Happy homeschooling, Canada! Hee <laughs> hee!